Ugh, another pointless video call where nothing gets done. I think you're on mute, David. Uh, oh, uh, sorry. What did I miss? IT just approved Miro for the whole company. Miro? That's the... Online whiteboard. For team collaboration. We can make these long video meetings so much shorter with Miro boards. We can share ideas, feedback, and updates on them whenever. Actually see what we're talking about. It's all online. Miro will make our flexible work setup so much easier. With one virtual space for our brainstorms, projects, presentations. Oh, that sounds kind of amazing. So I don't need to wake up for 6 a.m. calls with the London office anymore. Now you're getting it. Don't let time zones get in the way of your team working well together. See why 99% of the Fortune 100 trust Miro to get good work done from anywhere. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Hello, welcome to the Boys in the Band podcast. I'm Peter Smith. And I'm Richard Gallagher. And we're really excited about this week's show. We're chatting to Coz Kerrigan from Larrick in Love, who have been the most requested band by you guys listening. Every week on Twitter, Instagram, we get a message asking when we'll be telling their story. Today is the day. Yes, absolutely. And Coz doesn't disappoint either. Uh, he's got some great stories from those days in the band. And here he is on that album, The Freedom Spark. I find it quite frustrating to listen to it now because, although, I, you know, I love the songs, but you, you can't help but go, fucking hell, man, I can do that so much better now. Like, you know, the whole nostalgia thing and you get a little bit sort of, oh, fuck. Know, what could it be but I love it you know it's a great record I love that we made it I love it now um, and there's still I still get lots of people where well, I meet people in pubs and stuff and, and they, they'll come and say how much they love that record and, and it's, it's great you know that's that's really cool it was just one album from Larrick before they split and we definitely picked up a bit of a frustration from Cos uh, looking back all those years on uh, they didn't last that little bit longer yeah, we actually put a quote to him, didn't we, uh, from enemy journalist Mark yeah. Beaumont about Larrikin being one of the greatest lost bands of all time, which I thought was, uh, well, high praise indeed. But it was interesting to get his reaction to that as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he'd actually seen that article, hadn't he? It was uh, really interesting uh, feedback on that. Um, but another great thing about this band was their connections to lots of other bands that me and Pete loved and still love now. You know, the likes of the Mystery Jets and Jamie T. That was the, the Thames Beat scene, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a really enjoyable chat for us, this one. Uh, hopefully a good listen for you guys too. Uh, so check it out and also look out for our special bonus pod with Coz on Wednesday when he picks out his favourite Naughties album. Uh, we had an unbelievable response to Baz from the Fratellis on our first bonus show last week. And Cos has picked a brilliant album for his choice as well. So it's going to be a good one. Good little extra midweek listen for you. Uh, but first, here he is on the Larrikin Love Story. Enjoy. So this week on the Boys in the Band podcast, we're joined by Cos Kerrigan from Larrikin Love. How's it going, Cos? Not too bad, mate. I'm all right. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Great to have you on. Yeah, all good here, thanks, Cos. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, now, we were both uh, yeah, well into Larrikin Love back in the day, but funnily enough, it's actually one of the bands I reckon we've probably had the most requests for from listeners yeah. uh, to the podcast. You know, people just want to know, well, this is the story of the band, really. So looking forward to getting stuck into that. We kick off these podcasts with what we call a sound check, three quick fire questions, and we always start with, where are you? Uh, I'm in South East London at the moment. Um, in my, uh, I'm actually live, staying in my sister's gaff, 
Nice. It was southwest London, wasn't it, back in the day? That was uh, where it all started for you lot. Yeah, well, I've, I've kind of been in, in southeast since then, pretty much. I mean, with a brief interim of uh, that standard moment of going back and living with parents for a bit. But um, but yeah, I, I don't. I've got a real sort of affinity for this part of London. I love it. It's such a melting pot. There's so many great venues, and and there's just always been a great scene down here. So yeah, nice, nice part of the world. Yeah. Um, so the second question of the sound check, Cos, is um, what are you listening to at the moment? Uh, well, since Friday, nothing but idols. Uh, oh yeah. That uh, Ultra Mono is is just the fucking force of nature, man. It's an unreal record. I think everything they've done has been. Uh, Pretty phenomenal. I'm a bit of an obsessive fan, to be honest, these days. Um, yeah, it's like it's nice to sort of. Uh, I think I get that sort of affinity with, of just the idea that they're my age. You know, it's a strange thing. I think I felt quite alienated from music for a while because, you know, everyone's so young, and and I mean, I was 17 when we started when we first got got the record out, and um, and yeah, it's nice. It's great seeing somebody of my own age getting up there and doing something so important and, and making such a fantastic music and such a great statement, you know? Yeah, good yeah, shout. But, I mean, I mean, loads of other bands, Dry Cleaning, uh, Frauds, John, uh, Dits, just so many. I think music right now is, is better than it's ever been. So, yeah, I'm loving it. Awesome. Dry Cleaning. I went to school with a bass player from Dry Cleaning. Lewis Maynard, <laughs> Lewis Maynard, yeah. Oh, uh, he's he's got some. He's got a great hairdo at the moment. It's worth checking out on Instagram <laughs> if you can find him. Because um, <laughs> uh, best gig you've been to? We we started off saying recently, but you know, in recent memory, I guess, because we've not been going to many gigs recently. God, not to be a bore, but I was at Ali Pali was was pretty special, but. Um... But yeah, I mean, I've seen them quite a lot. I saw them at um, uh, 1994, I think it's called. Studio 1994 in East London. Um, or, yeah, I think that was called. But yeah, and that's like a tiny, like 200 cat venue, which was fucking amazing. I saw Mets there as well, which was fantastic. And Jamie T at Ali Pali a couple of years back was just ridiculous. Yeah, I think we were there amazing. too as well, weren't we, Pete? We were, mate. We were. Yeah. Great night, that one. Yeah, very good. Such a good band as well. The backing band were just fantastic, like really amazing musicians. All right, so let's um, let's jump back to the start of the the Larrikin Love story. So, believe it began uh, down in Twickenham, southwest London, as Pete mentioned. Um, but I read somewhere—is it true that it all began at a martial arts class? <laughs> so, <laughs> like some sort of karate karate uh, well, lesson. Escape this shit, man. Um, so. so Tell us a story. How did you all meet and, and how did you come to forming a band? Well, well, well I mean, <laughs> the martial arts thing definitely isn't true. Uh, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. We used to enjoy making up stories in interviews just as a way to sort of keep it fresh and kind of... And we'd never tell each other what was coming. You know, you'd have... Someone would just come out with a story of how we met and everybody else just had to get on board with it and just and start going along with it. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. But... Um, in actual fact, uh, I think originally my, my older brother was um, at college with Ed's, Ed's girlfriend. I bumped into Ed on Twickenham Green and he was with an old friend of mine, uh, Paddy Walsh, who was actually originally the, uh, he was the first guitar player. Sorry, Paddy O'Neill. Paddy Walsh was a different guy. Paddy O'Neill. Um, and... And yeah, I kind of bumped, it was like, are you, you're, he was like, fuck, your daughter's brother. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
started chatting and stuff and then um, ended up going to see the others, I think, with them at a squat squat party up in up in town somewhere. Can't remember a great deal of it, but we ended up just in a warehouse, just sort of sitting on this huge like mattress with loads of other people, just sort of just talking about music and, and poetry and and yeah, it kind of went from there. It was like, right, well, we need to do something, you know. Um, I didn't know much about the guy, and then his mum, you know, I was only fuck, I must have been sixteen at the time. He was seventeen. Is uh, he had a free, so his mum was away, uh, and we spent about two weeks in his bedroom just. Um, drinking white lightning and smoking fucking Mayfair Super Kings and, uh, and recording stuff on this little digital eight track thing that he had. It was just me playing bongos and doing backing vocals and Ed singing and playing a bit of guitar. And uh, yeah, and then I think, and then um, he got a call from a mate of his who wanted to put on a charity show at the Peel in Kingston. Um, which I think it's gone now, a long time ago, probably at Tesco or something. Uh, and, and Ed just basically said, can, can you get a band together? So... I got in touch with Mikko straight away, who's obviously a very old friend of mine, family friend of ours, um, and it's been an amazing guitar player. But I played in a band with him when I was in like year six, you know what I mean? And his <laughs> brother was a singer. But um, and yeah, and then and then I had this recollection of Alfie telling me, I think my brother's band had lost a bass player, and I remember being really drunk in a park with Alfie, and my brother, and him mentioning that he played bass. So I thought you know, he could have been bullshitting, but, you know, I thought, actually, yeah, we went, we went to go and do a rehearsal. He turned up just to, to come and hear what we were doing. And we had Miko playing guitar, who was previously playing bass. And then it was like, it just was like, well, this Nick and Nico has to be playing guitar. What's the point in having him in the band if he's not playing guitar? He's such a great player. And after he was there, I was like, you, you play bass, don't you? like yeah 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 a little bit and then we just sort of talked in the lines and then it kind of went from there i think i, I never i don't think that alfie had any intention of being uh, a permanent member at that point but um but yes things kind of moved quite quickly and 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 yeah that just ended up being the lineup that we that we stuck with and the and a lineup that worked beautifully you know so many different influences from all sides Every, all of us were in, like alfie's mad into funk and soul and R&B and me and Mick are raised on Irish trad and myself on jazz and you know it's just like it was it was great man it was it was great to have those sort of ideas flying around yeah real mix and obviously you had Rob Skipper as well from the Holloways um dipping in and out playing a bit of violin for you yeah yeah god rest in peace old Rob man um yeah Rob was an amazing guy um really incredible talent amazing songwriter amazing musician just all around you know um always felt like a privilege when he came and played with us we, we I mean we had a couple of different uh, violin players over the years but he was probably the longest term himself and and, and uh johnny but um but yeah man he was he was fantastic force of nature i miss him very much yeah, we had a really nice chat with Alfie and Bryn from the Holloways, uh, one of our earlier episodes. And yeah, they really played tribute to the talent of Rob as well. So uh, yeah, nice to hear that from yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you won't, you won't, if you ask anybody from that time, you won't get much of a different answer. He was so well loved. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, he was, he was an amazing guy. And again, like I say, I miss him all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah great guy, clearly. Um, and he really contributed to, to the, the sound of the band as well. So let's let's talk about this, that, that sort of rapid rise of the band because it, from again what we've 
uh, recalled and, and read up on it, it wasn't long after you started gigging that you got his first bit of record label interest and seemed to have a record labels fighting over you in those early days. Um, well, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> Probably a little bit of, uh, of, of exaggeration in there. But, um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was a, we were very privileged at that point um, to have a choice, you know, to, to actually be able to choose between a couple of different labels. Um, it was pretty early. I think the, I remember what the gig was, I can't remember the name of the gaff now. Uh, the one under, under, it's like, it used to be a public toilet at Shepherd's Bush. Jinglick, that's right, yeah. Yeah, we were down and we played a fucking great show, man. It was probably one of the best up until that point. And, you know, there was people up on the tables and Ed was jumping around on top of people and on people's shoulders. And, and I think someone from um, Warner happened to be there. Um, and before that, we were kind of fairly set on an independent label. Um, and yeah, and then and then of course, then then it all just sort of started kicking off. And and once, I suppose as soon as one label finds out that someone's interested in you, they they sort of go, oh okay, hold on a second, what are these guys up to? Um, but yeah, 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 it was it was a bit of a. It took some time, you know. Like we were we were procrastinating a lot. You know, it was it was just sort of back and forth and back and forth. And then, yeah, we decided that the best way to do it was to try and do it in a way that would reach as wide an audience as possible and allow us to do what we want, essentially, um, whether it be touring or in the studio or, yeah, so we ended up going with Warner. Must have been quite exciting, though, you know, from those early conversations with Ed, you know, sat on that mattress at that other's gig to... Uh, you know, laying down some tunes and then gigging and then suddenly getting that interest to then be signed to such a, you know, huge company and actually, hey, this is happening. That must have been quite an experience, uh, exciting experience for you guys. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty mad, you know. Um, and again, like I say, I mean, I was only 17. I think, I think at the point of when we first, when we got given the contract to, to look over, my nickname immediately became Clause 24. <laughs> Because in the contract was clause twenty four, cos Kerrigan. Like, what are we going to do about this kid? Who ah. is too young to legally be involved in anything? Um, so yeah, and they ended up just signing it, and and I was uh, they did it on trust. Maybe looking back, I probably should have pocketed a bit of that money and just fucked off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so yeah, it was it was it was a weird one, but it was it was mad. It was really exciting, and and you know you sort of that's the main point, I guess as an artist, when you finally, you're given the resources that you need to do what you want to do and to, to, to kind of, to make the art that you want to make. And, and yeah, and that, that gave us that. And it was, it was amazing, man. Yeah, amazing. So, so tell us about that next, cause the sort of actually uh, set about laying down that debut album, The Freedom Sparks. Tell us about, you know, the writing and recording process. Um, well, I suppose as a, as a first record, um, as is often the case, a lot of it was written, you know, it wasn't really, it wasn't really written as an album, as one body of work, you know, it was kind of a little bit kind of disjointed and a bit all over the place at first. And it wasn't really until we, or until Ed kind of decided on making it sort of a loose concept record was when things started to kind of make a bit more sense and we could start pulling out songs that, you know, that, that represented what we wanted them to and what we were trying to say um, and that fit within that sort of structure, you know, within the the, um, the idea of 
uh, hate fairy tale freedom was I think was really helpful for us. It kind of gave us um, it gave us limits really. It get, sort of made us uh, focus more on what we were actually doing and, and and really trying to. It wasn't so much the writing of it; it was more the recording of it that made it into an album you know an actual body of work was sort of this consistency that we had in the sound and 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 the producer of course was a huge part of it Ian Gore was amazing and and Dan Parry as well the engineer um yeah it was it was fucking great man and and to work in a studio like like Metropolis as well my fucking drum kit looked like a like a sea monster it was like Cthulhu coming out fucking mad (laughs) these booms everywhere and fucking blue lights and we set up loads of disco lights in the live room and, and just made it as fun as we could, you know, just just um, try to sort of avoid the feeling of work, really. I think it was important for us at that time. None of us were ready for real jobs. <laughs> so what are your memories then of it? It came out in September 2006, of course. So what's your memories of it, how it was received and, you know, maybe touring a few gigs um, shortly after it had come out and obviously people becoming familiar with those songs? quite strange actually it only came back to me last week because the idols record came out on friday and then i got this thing saying 25th of september 2000 i was like fuck man 14 years. <laughs> and then i was just chuffed that idols released their album at the same time so that was all right but um but yeah it was and i think maybe the first the headline tour we did i think culminated with scala which at the time was huge for us, you know, and, and that was, that was a fucking great show. Other than my, my hi-hat chain broke after like two songs. I literally just bought a new drum kit. Um, so that was a pain in the ass. But yeah, it, I think really it just sort of made, it gave us, uh, I mean, we, we, lo- we always love doing support stuff as well. You know, like it gave us the opportunity to play with bands we wouldn't have done otherwise. And obviously it made, it kind of enabled those bands to recognize us and to, to, to see that we were, you know what we were doing and and to actually listen to what we're about and and yeah we've we had some great shows man like obviously we played a lot with the kooks and stuff like that that was great and dirty pretty things and the zootons i mean the zootons we never would have been put in that that arrangement you know playing with the zootons it was fucking awesome man it was a great great tour and they're lovely guys and and you know i remember it very fondly well what i can remember of it I <laughs> and what are your reflections on on the album now like, have you listened to it recently yeah yeah i listened to it i think i listened to it not long after you guys got in touch um i i normally i, I listen to it maybe maybe like once every couple of years um yeah it, i don't know i find it quite frustrating to listen to it now because although i you know i love the songs but you you can't help but go fucking hell man i could do that so much better now like it's, it's it can be quite annoying i mean i mean that that record itself it kind of evolved through the live show anyway like after the record was done when it was finished we, i mean we never really played the same show twice every people just we kind of just you know did our own thing and 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 sort of changed little bits and we just tried things out live i always thought that was the best place to to sort of experiment you know in front of an audience where you've got to keep going you know so whatever you do even if you fuck it up, you've got to crack on. And and that was, again, that even at that point, it was frustrating. So I was like, God, I would change so much of that record now. <laughs> that was only like, you know, a couple of months afterwards. So, but, you know, I think it's very, it's a good representation of where we were then um, and the people that we were. 
so yeah, I mean, I mean, it, you know, it's there's there's bit, bits of me that get kind of you know it's it's you know the whole nostalgia thing, and you get a little bit sort of oh fucking hell, what could have been? But I love it. You know, it's a great record. I loved it when we made it. I love it now. Um, and there's still I still get lots of people. Well, I meet people in pubs and stuff, and and they they'll come and say how much they love that record, and and it's it's great. You know, that's that's really cool. Awesome, mate. Have you got a favourite track? Favourite track on it? I know you uh, say you look back on it and think, "Oh, I'd change this. I'd change that." Is there any song on it you still think, "Oh, that's that's a really good one"? That one. Uh, I think "Burning Coast" um, is uh, that was always my favourite because it's fucking raucous as man, and like the choruses are just so fun, and I I, I love violent music, so <laughs> that was it's just wicked fun to play and. Yeah, love it, man. Love it. Plus, there's that lovely little harmony bit in, in, in the verses, which never quite went to plan. In, uh, <laughs> in thing. But yeah, it was wicked, man. I loved it. Ed, Ed was very precious about that tune. And it was it was written about um, the tin mines down in Cornwall. Is it Cornwall? Yeah, Cornwall. Yeah, and, and he was very, he was adamant that we saw what it was about before we went into the recording process of that particular song. So that was the only one that we did away from Metropolis. We went down to sawmills. Um, we had to like load up all the gear onto a boat and go across this fucking lake. And uh, Nico nearly dropped his brand new orange amp into the lake. <laughs> Just barely caught it with one set of wheels off the edge of the jetty. But yeah, and we went in there and, you know, sort of surrounded by all this stuff of like Oasis and Supergrass and all these incredible bands that played there. And, and, and that was a real experience, man. That was that was that was something special, really amazing. Amazing. You mentioned uh, med, uh, melodies there, and um, you know, I think Downing Street Kindling is one that stands out for me. But that was something about Larry in Love, wasn't it? That you weren't afraid. You know, there's some quirky lyrics and stuff in there, and you guys all had a real look. But that there were some real sort of poppy elements almost to some of the choruses and stuff, and the way that those those songs would come together. Absolutely, man. I think. I think really, I mean, it's not really, you can't really escape the fact that we were a pop band, essentially, you know, I don't, I, I don't think you can class it as rock and roll or punk or anything like that. It's, 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 it's pop, you know, um, and that's kind of, I guess we, most of it is all very kind of rudimental and, and quite basic. Most of it follows a pretty basic structure. I think songs like Burning Coast were slightly different and, and Silver and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, it was, I think we just, we just sort of took out of things that we liked. So some of it didn't seem to fit until we put it together and then it did. And, and yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it was a weird one. I think a lot of the times the music dictated the melodies, a lot of the times the lyrics slash melody would dictate what the rest of the boys played. So yeah, it was just, we never really had a formula or anything, but um, yeah. Yeah, well, the formula certainly worked. Um... <laughs> We'll take a quick quick break there, Coz. Um, in part two, we'll chat a bit more about why that was the only album we got from Larry and Love, uh, the band's legacy, uh, and what you're working on at the moment. I'm Coz Kerrigan from Larry and Love. You're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. You're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. For more naughty nostalgia, Check out our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages and make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast for more interviews like this.
Welcome back to the Boys in the Band podcast, where we're joined by Cos Kerrigan from Larrikin Love. We've just been chatting off air. No vinyl, Cos. It's a painful one for you, isn't it? No vinyl of that album. Yeah, very, very painful for me, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, absolutely devastating. I'm a big vinyl head, man. I love it. Um, I was so excited because those early rec- those early singles were coming out on, on, on Seven Inches, and I was like, well, obviously, we're going to do a 12, right? We've got to, we've got to do an LP. And unfortunately, it never surfaced, which never is, I think, a real, a real missed trick there, man. Yeah, that would be a, a nice one to have in the collection, definitely. Because um, I was reading an article recently by respected enemy journalist Mark Beaumont. He described Larrick in Love as one of the greatest lost bands of all time. Now, obviously, what he's referring to is that six months after that album came out, the band split. So, so what happened? Yeah, I read that, actually. I was quite surprised. I was reading it just as, like, you know, just bored i think someone sent it to me actually and um well someone sent me the previous article the vice one about fucking love yeah. or indie that really pissed me off obviously. i think it pissed a lot of people off didn't it yeah well yeah to be honest i would have expected that sort of thing from the enemy <laughs> you know I mean? like i think that vice were very heavily involved in the scene at that time you know we did loads of stuff with vice but um but uh yeah that was great to read that um but also at the same time quite quite devastating I think I think really what what it was I think touring took a real took a real toll on Ed more than more than anyone else it was difficult you know touring is a very lonely place at times um despite being surrounded by your best mates when you're not with you know Ed, Ed's girlfriend was his rock and she was an amazing woman she did a lot of our artwork and you know being away from her being in that situation wasn't really his natural state you know and I think he so it's like Kate Bush you know he wanted to just do one tour and then never ever tour again just do like the odd gig every now and then but um but yeah I think I, I, he just he just wasn't very happy I, and I think he needed to make a change and maybe that was the most kind of um drastic change he could have made and 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 maybe he just wanted to sort of cut that I don't know. Yeah, just cut it short. I mean, it, it originally when we broke, when we when we separated, it was all very amicable and stuff, and there was always the option of kind of getting back into it, maybe a year or so, um, and it just never really materialised. And then after a while, it sort of just didn't really feel relevant anymore. And I guess we all just sort of drifted, and and we all had other projects on the go. So yeah, no, it's a shame, man. I would have loved to. I I really would like to actually write. A record you know like go in and, and write a sophomore album as a record and, and it's a shame we never got to do it I think we could have done it really well we demoed a few tracks um that never came to light and uh and and you know even the b-sides and stuff that we were doing for the singles on the record I felt had a lot more depth in them than than the stuff we were doing for the record essentially um so it's, it's a shame never to have gotten the chance to 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 sign up, see what would have um, what would have materialised from that from those earlier sessions after the first album, but but yeah, that's his life. Was yeah, it? Um, um, sorry, Rich. Sorry. Was it? Was it a shock? Because when uh, Ed sort of sat you guys down and told you that, or was it something that you you all knew was sort of coming? I mean, I knew he wasn't happy. You know, I loved Ed very much. I still do. Um, and it's you know, you, it's difficult not to see when someone you love is, is struggling, you know, um, unfortunately back then I wasn't really equipped 
to deal with that or to help him in any way. Um, again, being very young and, and a bit immature and, and naive and, you know, I just wanted to have fun. I wanted to party and stuff, but, but yeah, I think, I mean, originally he, he sat us all, he, he came to each of us individually. Um, and I got a phone call saying everyone to meet me on the South Bank on his own. And I was like, well, I'm either fired or about to break it up. And either one would be a fairly uh, understandable sort of <laughs> reaction. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was quite shocking. Um, I think I, I thought about it a lot because I, I had a feeling it was coming, but when you actually hear it, it's, it's very different, you know, and it was nice. And we, we had a big hug and, and, and say goodbye. And, and, you know, we saw each other quite a few times after that, but unfortunately, eventually it just, it just sort of fizzled out. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it? And sort of a, very, uh, you know, that we talked about the rapid rise and obviously you being so young, you know, nothing quite intense, you know, with all that success coming quite quickly, the pressure of being on tour and, you know, some of you enjoyed it more than others can can understand. It can be a, a bit of a, an odd an odd uh, place to be mentally if you're out, out on tour and not quite being on the same page as everyone else. Very much so, very much so. You know, um, I mean, you know, back then, I think it was it was a it was a brilliant time. You know, for music generally, for for, for guitar music especially. But there was a lot of toxicity still in that scene. You know. There was a lot of boozing and, and drugs were a big part of it. Um, you know, it was fucking everywhere. And and when you're doing, I think, God, I mean, the first sort of year of of properly touring, we we didn't really didn't really do anything else for the most of that year. You know, we had, I think the first stint was about sort of two months with about three days off, which we used to travel or do press or whatever. It's pretty fucking intense. And after what, you know, you start getting into boozing and drugs and all the rest of it just because you're trying to enjoy yourself. You think you're, you think you're enjoying yourself. And after a while, it becomes kind of necessary because you're, you're fucking wrecked, you know, and, and you want to make sure that you can give your audience a proper, a, a decent show. You know, they pay to come and see you. And yeah, and then, and of course, that, that it doesn't work out that way because it ends up being completely the opposite. Uh, having completely opposite effects and, and we were just we were burnt out and I think you know I was a bit of an arsehole back then as well I think <laughs> to be honest um, I think we all were in our own ways um, it's difficult to, to, to be able to deal with that kind of situation at that age you know so and that's another reason I would have liked to have another another crack at, at doing a record and stuff is that probably even more so now you know that I've I've grown a great deal since then. I, I'm, I don't regret anything from back then, but, you know, it made me into a, a pretty strong person, or it has done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I'm waffling, man. I've forgotten what I was <laughs> <laughs> No, that's good. I was just going, just going to sort of follow up on that sort of, yeah, just with that context of obviously how highly respected the band were, and now we've heard sort of, you know, what caused the band to split at that point. So, you know, all these years on, what's your sort of reflection on the band, what you achieved, the experiences you had? Is it, is it positive, frustrating that it, it didn't kick on or what, what's your sort of overriding feeling towards it all now? Uh, I think it all depends on my mood at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, there's uh, definitely a certain level of frust frustration and, and kind of at times I sort of feel myself getting a little bit bitter, but, you know, that's completely unhelpful. So, sort of sweep that out of the way. Um, but really it was, I, I had an opportunity to do 
things that people of, of my age and, and of my background don't get to do, you know. Um, it, it was it was a very bizarre time, but in a, in a fucking great way. It was it was amazing, and there was so much love around back then. And you know, meeting those amazing people, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to meet fucking Peter and Carl, and who obviously were heroes of ours back then, and 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 like the Zootons, and and it was it was mad. It was fucking wicked. And again, like I say, there was so much love there. There was a, a great. I don't like using the S word, but it was an amazing scene, and and I made some amazing friends out of it really amazing people who many of which are still going now um you know i'm, I'm still really close with the mystery jets and and um yeah it's just it's there's a lot of good to take away from it i don't i try not to sort of look back on things with any kind with any kind of negativity i try and find the good in it um and it was fucking great <laughs> it was wicked <laughs> yeah and no, absolutely was and uh just to use that S word again, you know, that scene and uh, another sort of term that was thrown out, I think probably, I've read it by Alfie at the time, was the Thames beat scene, because... Yeah, but, um, but you know, you mentioned the Mystery Jets and, um, and, and Jamie T as well, all from that sort of area of South London. So um, tell us about that Thames beat scene. <laughs> uh, well, fucking hell. first of all, I think it was weirdly, it was coined originally by Alfie and we were talking about a band that didn't really kind of um that didn't really come up in that scene about at that point I think they just sort of the enemy grabbed onto the the um the word and and, and that was it it kind of took on a life of its own but um it, we were talking originally about a band called The View who pre the, the Dundee View um, and then they changed their name to the Morrison Steam Fair. Fucking unreal, unreal band. Really fucking cool. Very kind of American Steam Fair. Uh, very kind of Americana, even. Um, uh, now called, there's another sort of version of them now, Treetop Flies with the same singer. But um, but yeah, and, and they were kind of like a Mersey Beat sort of band. Really, really cool. And had that, this, these amazing harmonies and, and something sort of skiffly about their sound. And the end, we were asked in an interview what kind of bands we were listening to. And we spoke about this band and who are friends of ours as well from Isleworth, down the road from Twickenham. And, uh, and they were like, oh, well, yeah, what sort of sound is it? And Alfie was like, well, you know Mersey beat? It's Thames beat, isn't it? <laughs> and that was it. And then, then, you know, it was just sort of a flippant off-the-cuff comment. And then it just sort of blew up. And they started getting all kinds of weird bands stuck in there. And I just thought, I, I don't know what's going on with this thing anymore. <laughs> Completely out of our hands. <laughs> Create a monster, like you said. Everything needs a label, doesn't it? Everything needs yeah. a label. Well, apparently so. This is what I'm told. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but but Jamie does does feature on 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 the album as well. He's on the, the tracker. Will love does furnish a life. So um, and you, you mentioned the mystery jet. So good friends with those guys. Yeah, yeah. I still see. I still see a lot of the mystery jets. Actually, I saw them. When I see, well, I bumped into Blaine actually. Uh, uh, a and a thing with Joe Talbot and um, and uh, Alan McGee. And I, you know, I, I went to see them in Omira a few months back. Oh no, probably would have been the end of 2019 actually. But um, and yeah, they were all back at mine for a party afterwards. It was great. I think uh, Blaine actually met his current girlfriend at at my house. Um, always pleased to uh, you know help along young love, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're, they're top guys, man. I mean, Henry is a wonderful person. I see Henry all the time when I'm in Twickenham. Um, yeah, just great guy. Kapil, what a fucking machine as well. What a, what a drummer. 
really, I still love those boys, man. They're, they're, they're the same as the day I met them. They've always, they've always maintained this real kind of just, just a lovely nature. They're such a, they're really, really caring people. Cool. How did Jamie end up uh, singing on that track? I can't, do you know what? That was a weird one because it took him fucking ages to do it because I, I, I wasn't playing to a click and there's, a, there's some really awful fills in that song. That's one of the tunes I listen to and go, shit, man, I've got that needs redoing. <laughs> but it was this little bits where it kind of jumps and goes out of time and, and Jamie was just getting so frustrated. I turned up maybe like halfway through the session and he was like shouting in the vocal booth and throwing shit around um, because of one fill that just kept on throwing him <laughs> off. But you know, but you know, it, it it felt like a natural thing to do. Jamie was always we were always around each other, and and we were such good friends. It was like, why would you not? You know, and and it was before his uh, before panic prevention, I think. I think yeah, it must have been. So yeah, it was nice to do that, and 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 sort of get him on the record before it all exploded for him as well. You know, and and it's very and also we got Lauren Doss on the same track as well, who's incredible, amazing singer. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was great. That was that was good fun, man. And that's I think that's what everyone wants to do, isn't it? Get their mates in. Just, just want to. And he returned the favour, of course, and stuck me and Alfie on uh, on panic prevention. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, it's absolutely great for you guys. It's great for us as listeners as well when you hear, you know, artists that you really love just obviously combining and collaborating together and obviously getting on with each other. It's yes, yeah, it's, it's a nice idea in the head, I guess, of a listener to think that. Yeah, these bands they they like are all mates as well, which is great. Everyone knew everyone, you know. It was it was it was a really close knit thing. Yeah. Festivals were chaos because you're just getting all these mates that haven't seen each other for a year and putting them in the same room. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> it went nuts every time. But, yeah, boy in Amsterdam is one to remember. Fuck me. <laughs> Because uh, bring us up to speed then. So what happened after Larrick? And I know you've spoken obviously about, you know, how you'd, you'd like to get back in the studio with those boys if the opportunity ever arose. But what are you working on yourself? Um, well, I'm not currently uh, involved in anything musical. I'm trying to sort of get back into it. I've been not, well, I mean, it's, you know, right now I'm sort of trapped in a flat and I haven't got a kit set up or anything. I haven't played drums for quite some time, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there was a lot after Larrikin. I did a lot, like quite quickly afterwards. I did a tour with um, playing drums for Kid Harpoon, The Powers That Be, which was great fun, like really amazing. And then I think they actually asked me to be the full-time drummer, and my phone was broken, and I didn't see any messages. And I finally managed to fix my phone. Saw all these messages on there saying, "Yeah, we want you to do it." And by that point, they'd already gotten someone else in. Oh no. Uh, it was a fucking nightmare, man. It was I was gutted, but also it's nice to go see them and not have to be playing. But um, but yeah, and then I did uh, very nearly joined uh, Rob Shabin. Did a couple of rehearsals with those boys. They were full on, man. Like I still, you know, I still see them locally. They're like Dave is now playing with Sleaze, fucking great, great band, and they're local to here as well, South London. Um, and then fuck, fuck, uh, Cleveland Villanova, amazing band. Really amazing band. Probably, I think, probably my favourite band that I've been in, you know, as far as the sound and, and the, uh, the kind of the attitude towards music and art. And yeah, they were amazing, like really amazing. And I left them then to join up with my brother's band, Mana Brown, 
sort of much more sort of straight rock and roll stuff. Um, signed uh, signed to a label in the states, um, and that never really nothing really materialised from it. Unfortunately, went and did an album in in Spain and in, in New York, um, but yeah, it never came out unfortunately. But um, yeah, and then God, what was after that? Uh, a movie uh, or Screening Peaches. Um, who I think who were again are amazing, incredible artists, really amazing songwriters, and and amazing um, visual artists as well. Uh, very interesting guys, um, and yeah, and, and that sort of went on for a while. Unfortunately, adulting and and the world of work got a little bit in the way of that one. I was just I was just exhausted, you know, I was too tired, and I couldn't give them the time they deserved. Uh, so I decided to step back from that. I think they're now woos. I think. Is, is their current um, sort of incarnation doing, doing quite well? And they're, they're brilliant, you know, they're just amazing bands. Um, every one of them, I, I don't think there's. Oh, and the Hypnotic Eye as well. Well, we did a lot of touring with the Hypnotic Eye in, in Europe, and that was with myself on drums and with uh, Joseph Whitney Fish from Because um, of an Overplay Bass. Uh, so that was cool. And then, and of course, and the, the keyboard player was from. Uh, Screaming Peaches, which is how I got that gig. Uh, all very incestuous, really. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, great fun, man. And then I, think, I don't, you know, that's, that's, it's always my favourite thing. Touring is, is my favourite thing in the world. Going to a different place every day and playing with new people and, and, kind of, and just bringing your art to a new audience is a wonderful thing to be able to do. And that's, that, I think, I guess that's the thing that I miss most about me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but, um, fing- yeah. fingers crossed something uh, comes together when you, uh, you can get your kit, get back out of your kit, and uh, maybe something else yeah, will come. I've been a little bit with the with the Klezmer boys, and with you know, we might hopefully with 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 uh, with Joe. I'd like to get something in the works with him. We've had sort of brief conversations about two piece noise band, and just trying to sort of experiment a little bit with noise rather than melody. And uh, yeah, but and fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah. See what happens. If they die, good stuff. All right, guys, really appreciate you giving us the time today. Um, we're going to finish off with the encore now. Um, first question in the encore, um, you may well have answered this a million times before, but tell us again if you can. Where did the name of the band come from, Larrikin Love? Uh, it's from a play uh, called Our Country is Good. Um, and it's basically about uh, British and Irish um, criminals being deported to Australia. And um, and there was the the larrikin thing is kind of it's almost, it's kind of like an accent difference, um, like you have Irish guys there saying larrikin, tell the fuck a larrikin about, and then of course larrikin sounds like larrikin in Australian, like in an Australian accent. Um, so it's more of a language divide, but essentially it just means a little bit of a hooligan, a bit of a bit of a uh, bit of a cheeky chappy. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Also, I mean, we went back to that point as well on the for a lot of the press shots for the album we did. I don't know if you remember the ones of us sitting um, in kind of like old clothes. I was wearing bare feet, and it's just like a white backdrop. And that was inspired by a book of um, Australian like crime scenes and stuff. And they had all these these pictures of these monk shots of, of criminals that were leaving the UK and Ireland and going over there and uh, and yeah so we tried to sort of emulate that and and they had my the idea of my character was was 
kind of a young kid who'd been caught nicking a loaf of bread or something, hence the no no shoes and dirty feet. And the other lads have got this air of confidence about them because they were putting these kids with hardened criminals and sending them over there and sort of, you know, painting them all with the same brush. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I like that continuity as well. It wasn't something I thought about too much at the time. I was like, fuck, that's wicked. But, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, very cool. Not really quick fire, is it, with an answer like that? <laughs> cool. uh, second question in the encore because uh, what was the best gig you ever played as Larrick in Love Reading 2006 100% nice. fucking yeah. awesome unbelievable I, I found some fo- footage of it on YouTube but it's from like someone's phone and obviously people's phones back then were fucking shit so <laughs> it's really really bad the quality is awful but every time you know I, I see that video and my whole body just sort of tenses up and I get, I get goosebumps. It's amazing. You can hear the crowd, because it's taken from in the crowd. You hear the crowd singing back at the, uh, at the stage. And that, you know, that's the feeling everyone wants is, is to hear your, your, your lyrics shouted back at you. But also we had um, Ben from um, Airhammer was playing guitar. Miko had dislocated his shoulder from a festival a few weeks previously at, um, Oh, fuck, I can't remember where it was. Uh, somewhere in Cambridge, I can't remember which festival it was now. Um, but yeah, and, and so, we, so he couldn't play in the rhythm part, so he was just playing lead, so he didn't have to kind of strum the guitar. And we had Ben in playing, uh, playing rhythm, and he's an absolute madman, phenomenal performer, amazing stage presence. And then Patrick Wolf came up and played, played um, viola with a boot string, um, and, and the Mystery Jets were there, so they all got back, they all got on stage at the end, and... and our manager, when it was throwing these whistles out for the last song, um, he was out on stage throwing out these whistles, like Larry can love lanyards and his whistles for the for the carnival tune, and he accidentally he took his one his own one off and threw them out, threw it out, and didn't didn't realise his keys were on it, house <laughs> keys, and then it was lovely. It was sort of like summed up the sort of the love and care in that in that space at the time was that we got a message a few days later saying. You know, from a fan saying, like, I found this this lanyard on the floor. It's got someone's keys on it. Do you know anything about it? I was like, fucking what? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, man, that was the show, man. It was amazing. Amazing. I really want to uh, see the BBC archive footage from it. I've never seen it, so. Yeah, it'd be great to dig that out. I was just, you know, when something clicks, it's like when you said about the Mr. Jets coming on stage for you at the end, I was like, um, was I there or do I just wish that I was there? I'm not sure. I was definitely at the, I was definitely at the festival and I was definitely into Larry in Love at the time. So there's a very good chance I was in Absolutely. the crowd. Might have, I might have had a pint of beer in my hand at the time. I might have been a, might have had a few. All right, last last question, Cos. Wonder if you could pick out the uh, the Larry in Love song that you're proudest of. That's a tough one. Um, again, you know, my favourite song on the record was was um, was uh, Burning Coast, but I guess happy as any because it's the one that really kind of got the conversation started and got people talking about the band. It's the one that sort of thrust us into that. Made people take it seriously, you know, which is hilarious because it was written as a complete piss take. We started writing the song just because I fancy playing a skiffle beat. And then, you know, it was obviously the lyrics are are beautiful and and are are, are very dark and, and, and heartfelt, but, um, but yeah, it was that. That I think it has to be. It has to be one of my most proud of. Yeah, definitely. Although it's probably my least favourite, I think it's definitely the one that matters most. Yeah, most most important. Or, yeah. Yeah, it stays in people. You know, people and that's the song people remember. So, and and that's great. You know. There you go. 
Nice one, Cos. Well, we're going to have a little chat in a minute about your favourite album from that noughties era, and that will come out in a little bonus podcast, which we'll release on the Wednesday after this episode goes out. But for now, thanks for coming on the Boys on the Band podcast. It's been great chatting to you about Larrick and Love. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply.